Good evening, my friends, and welcome to Hitchens on Horror. I'm your host, Josh Hitchens, and this is our series, Twelve Nights of Terror, where we are exploring the very best in holiday fear. This is night number nine, 30 Days of Night. So as I mentioned in an earlier episode of our 12 Nights of Terror series here on Hitchens on Horror, there are at least two movies that I have to watch every single year the very first time we get our biggest snowfall. One of them is The Shining, which you've already talked about, and the second one is the movie that I'm going to be talking about tonight. Uh, It is 30 Days of Night, which was released in 2007. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, And God knows when we're going to get our first snow this year because global warming, no snow yet as of today, December 22nd, 2021, uh, here in Philadelphia. Uh, But 30 Days of Night is one of my favorite movies to watch during the Christmas season and during the winter season as well. And I think it really is one of the most unique and interesting vampire movies that has been made in the 21st century so far. And I will get into more about obviously what the movie's about and the origins of the film and its production history soon. But before I do that, uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the place where the movie is set, because the movie is set in a real place. Um, The movie was not filmed in its actual uh, location in story. The movie was filmed in New Zealand, actually. Um, And like... Several movies that we've watched in this series so far, uh, most of the snow that you see in 30 Days of Night is fake. Most of it's actually salt, um, which is one of the fun, many fun facts that I learned during my research to record this episode. Um, so, like Jack Frost, the movie that we watched last night, a movie about a killer snowman, most of the snow is fake in that movie, too. And this is 30 Days of Night, a movie that is specifically about an Alaskan town. So there's lots of fucking snow. Um, but because they filmed it in New Zealand, most of the snow that you see is fake. But honestly, you wouldn't know it watching the movie. They did a really terrific job disguising it. So, uh... To talk about the place where 30 Days of Night takes place. Oh, God, no pun intended there. So, uh, this movie is set in what was from 1901 to 2016 known as the town of Barrow, Alaska. Uh, In 2016, the citizens and town council of Barrow, Alaska voted to change the name of their town uh, and they chain, and that vote passed. So, what is known as Barrow, Alaska, in 30 Days of Night uh, in 2016 changed its name to Utkiavik, um, which is an in, which is in the Inuit language because 
like everywhere in Alaska, the many different Inuit tribes have existed in Alaska for almost 2,000 years, and there's evidence of Inuit tribes in the in the area of the town that is now known as Utkiavik um, for at least 1,500 years, um, which is pretty amazing. And they voted to change the, change the name of the town to preserve the Inuit history and to uh, um, contribute to the movement of decolonization. Because, of course, when the white people, white Europeans got their hands on all these uh, places in what they call Alaska, they they changed the names and anglicized everything. Um, So it's really great that uh, this town has taken steps to uh, try and remove some of that colonization and come back to its history. Um, So some things about this town that I think are really interesting. And these are all pertinent to the film, so don't think I'm just doing random trivia for no reason. This is all very, very relevant to 30 Days of Night. Uh, So this town is about 1,300 miles south of the North Pole, and according to the Wikipedia... Only 2.6% of the Earth's surface lies as far and farther from the equator as this town. Uh, And it's a very small town, to be sure. Uh, And in the film, they describe it as like the northernmost part of the United States of America, which is not quite true, Um, but it's close enough. And because this town is so far north, um, it is also extremely isolated. Uh, You cannot reach this town, go in or go out, go anywhere else in Alaska or anywhere else in the United States or the world without being in a plane. You cannot drive from this town anywhere. You're surrounded by wilderness. And Personally, I find that absolutely fucking terrifying. Like, I, I understand why we pay people like who live in Alaska because they deserve because they deserve it. Because like, if I was living in a small town that like you had to take a plane to get anywhere to get out, I find that absolutely, absolutely terrifying. I would lose my mind. But um, that adds to. Uh, 30 Days of Night, ironically. And uh, where the title comes from is because of the fact that for 66 days out of the year, this town, um, which is now known as Utkiavik, does not have any sunlight. Now, you'll notice that uh, the movie is called 30 Days of Night, um, not 66 days of night. Um, and that's because I'm, I'm guessing 30 days of night is a, is a catchier title. Um, but that's a pretty crazy thing too, that for 66 days out of the year during the winter, this town and everyone who still remains in it during that time, there is no sunlight whatsoever. Um, 
So that's a bit of the history of the actual place that this film is set in, um, and I hope you enjoy, and I hope you enjoyed it. Um, look, look up this town. It has a really fascinating history, and all and when you see photographs of the actual place, it's it really enhances your experience of Thirty Days of Night. I think. So anyway. Um, on to 30 Days of Night itself. 30 Days of Night is the brainchild of a writer named Steve Niles. And Steve Niles actually originally envisioned the idea of 30 Days of Night as a film, but it was rejected by every single film studio that Steve Niles approached. So he then eventually retooled his idea for 30 Days of Night into a comic, a three-issue comic book miniseries, which was written by him and illustrated by Ben Templesmith. Uh, and that three-issue comic miniseries came out in 2002 um, and was hugely, hugely successful. Um, and ironically, because the comic and the graphic novel, uh, that followed as those three issues were collected together, since it became so successful, then the movie studios were finally interested in the story that Steve Niles had wanted to tell as a film from the very beginning. Uh, so he with the film 30 Days of Night, you get to see the vision of Steve Niles um, and of the illustrator Ben Templesmith, who should not be left out of this, uh, brought to its uh, popular form. And the script for 30 Days of Night, the film, although it is... Uh, it was originally written by Stephen Niles. It was rewritten by several other people with Steve Niles' blessing. And it uh, he remarked on how faithful the film is to his vision. And uh, the director of this movie, David Slade, wanted to stay as true to Ben Templesmith's illustrations as possible because those illustrations, if you ever get your hands on a copy of the original graphic novel, are unforgettably terrifying. Um, this is a really great movie. Uh, it was uh, produced for a budget of $30 million, made $75.5 million at the box office. Pretty decent success. Uh, but I feel like people don't really talk about 30 Days of Night much anymore, um, which is a shame because I do love it so much. I think it's great. It's terrifying. It's a great movie for Christmas to watch when it's snowing. So what what is this movie about um, as we are nearly 12 minutes into this episode of the podcast? So the movie is about the residents of what was then known as the town of Barrow, Alaska, as they're preparing uh, for the last day of sunlight, uh, getting ready for that in the in this story, the 30 days of night, the 30 days where there is no sunrise. And uh, I think 30 days of night for me is a great is a child of both Dracula and Salem's Lot, which is kind of fitting because uh, Salem's Lot, the novel by Stephen King, is a child of Dracula in itself. Um, Stephen King wrote Salem's Lot because he was teaching Bram Stoker's Dracula 
to his high school Eng English students, and he mused aloud to his wife Tabitha, what would happen if Dracula was here in the modern day in New York City? And his wife, Stephen King's wife, Tabitha King, a great author in her own right as well, said he'd probably r be run over by a taxi in New York City. And then there was a silence for a while, and Tabitha King said, but what if he came here to Maine? And that is what set Stephen King off on writing Salem's Lot about a... Uh, about a vampire coming to a very small, isolated New England town and over a period of years gradually transforming the majority of the town into vampires, which then a very small band of humans tries to stop. And I think 30 Days of Night is sort of a combination of both Dracula and Salem's Lot because it has the same kind of setting that Salem's Lot does, um, the town of Barrow, as seen in 30 Days of Night, is a very small town. It's a town where everyone knows one another. Have They have known one another for their entire lives. No one's history is secret, so there's lots of friendships and grudges and all sorts of entanglements going on. And you get that sort of delicious small town vibe um, in 30 Days of Night. Uh, but the diff... Uh, what where 30 Days of Night, I think, is different from Salem's Lot is that it inverts Salem's Lot's structure, because as I mentioned in Salem's Lot, the vampire takeover is very, very, very um, gradual until finally, all of a sudden, most of the town are vampires. Um, and in 30 Days of Night, the takeover is much, much quicker. Um, I'll just say that for now. So, getting to the story of this film. Uh, it, this film is really beautifully uh, directed by David Slade with great cinematography by Joe Willems. Uh, it really captures the feeling of winter and isolation and uh, the cold and trying to survive in a place that is difficult to survive in. And uh, the film, like the graphic novel, echoes Dracula because at the very beginning of it, you see this character who is only billed as the stranger looking at this large, black, hulking ship that is in the Arctic waters nearing the town. And we can infer that that ship is the ship that all of the vampires uh, are arriving on, uh, which is very much like Bram Stoker's Dracula, where the ship Demeter um, is the vessel that brings Dracula to England, finally. Uh, and the character of the stranger in 30 Days of Night is very much like a Renfield, um, is very much enthralled to the vampires, is doing all the work to prepare the way for their coming, including stealing the cell phones of pretty much everyone in town and burning them so that they are cut off from civilization. Um, also killing all of the sled dogs. Um, you don't really see it on screen. It's very brief, but this is another movie where 
does the dog die? The answer is yes. It's nowhere near as bad as in 3615 Code Père Noël that we talked about a couple nights ago. That's really horrific and terrible to watch. Um, but 30 Days of Night, it happens so quick. Um, you can dissociate for just a, a minute or two and it's fine. Um, and then the stranger, as he is called clearly wants to be made one of the vampires and whether he gets his wish or not you're gonna have to watch the movie uh so but the film begins on this last day of sunlight when a huge majority of the population of the town of barrow alaska is getting the hell out of town getting on that airplane um our main character in this movie is the town sheriff uh, who is played by Josh Hartnett. Uh, and he's fine. I mean, no one's ever thought that Josh Hartnett was like the best actor in the world. Uh, his performance in this movie is very much, I'm trying to do serious work here. And the that voice I just did is literally the voice that he uses for this movie. But you know what? It's okay. Um... I mean, Josh Hartnett is not a great actor by any stretch of the imagination, but he is absolutely solid in this. He fulfills all the functions that he needs to fulfill. Um, very good. Uh, and Josh Hartnett has uh, a wife uh, played by Melissa George, uh, and they are estranged. Um, and his estranged wife, Stella, has been obviously living apart from Josh Hartnett's sheriff character for quite a while, but she has come back because it's part of her job to survey all these Alaskan towns, and she ends up getting stuck in Barrow. Uh, she misses the last plane, and so she's stuck and has to try and work things out with her estranged husband. Um, and I, I don't want to spoil a lot of what happens, because I think... Uh, as with several other films we've talked about. Again, I don't think a lot of people have seen 30 Days of Night, and you should. And 30 Days of Night is really best experienced when you don't know a lot about where it's going. Um, but suffice to say that when the sun sets on that last day of sunlight, and then the 30 Days of Night begin, then the vampires arrive. And this is really the big difference um, between 30 Days of Night and Stephen King's Salem's Lot, because once the, sun, once the sun sets and the vampires arrive, the massacre of the majority of the town happens very quickly. And the way it is filmed in this movie is so great and absolutely terrifying when you just see a huge portion of the townspeople just being massacred and all this blood in the snow and for the people who are hunkered down inside just hearing these terrifying screams. And after that initial night of slaughter, uh, those who are left, those who have survived that first uh, night of darkness, then uh, sort of hide together and try to make it through the next month until the sun rises again. Uh, so that's the general premise of 30 Days of Night. And I think it's 
This film and the graphic novel comic book series before it is really notable for the way it portrays its vampires. The way it portrays uh, vampires is almost a cross between traditional vampires and uh, sort of 21st century zombies a la 28 Days Later, where these vampires can move very fast sometimes, like the zombies in 28 Days Later can move very fast. And I also applaud just the visual look of the vampires in 30 Days of Night, because they are truly animalistic. I mean, I think so often in the in 20th century horror films featuring vampires, we get used to vampires being very beautiful or sexy. You know, they might bite people and have a little bit of blood on their mouth, but then they wipe it off and then like they're very attractive again. And 30 Days of Night, I think, is really terrific in the way that it makes these vampires really ugly and filthy, that they are covered, their faces are covered in blood. Like when they feed on someone and get blood all over their faces, they don't wash that off. Why would they? Because they're feral creatures. Um, so the blood is, they're all just caked in this blood all the time. And they have these sharp fingernails and there's blood on their hands, blood under these long nails. They're really unpleasant to look at, and I think that is very refreshing um, because these vampires in 30 Days of Night are, unlike so many vampires in film, legitimately unsettling and at times absolutely terrifying. And one of the things that makes the vampires in this film uh, interesting and I think unique in their own is the language that they speak. They have their own language. Sometimes they speak words that are subtitled. Um, that primarily happens with the leader of the vampires, who is named Marlowe, which is interesting uh, because the king vampire in Stephen King Salem's Lot is named Barlow. That's Definitely not an accident, but has to be intentional. I have faith that uh, Steve Niles, who wrote this, knew his references. Uh, but uh, Marlowe the Vampire, I'll just say briefly, is played by Danny Houston, who is known to most horror fans as playing the real-life uh, serial killer, the Axeman of New Orleans in American Horror Story Coven. Just brief trivia there. Um... But other than Marlowe, the leader of the vampires, played by Danny Houston, uh, the other vampires don't really speak in words. It's all uh, these guttural sounds and, thro and throat noises. And the language, this was an actual new, unique vampire language that was created for the film version of 30 Days of Night by a linguistics professor at uh, New Zealand University. Uh, and he based the sounds that the vampires make on feral creatures who are primarily concerned with hunting, which of course these vampires are. Uh, so there's something just really wonderfully and disturbingly inhuman about the vampires in 30 Days of Night. They are really feral creatures, creatures of the hunt, creatures of blood, 
animalistic, um, but still with traces of their humanity. And there's a great example of that in the in, later on in the movie that I'm not going to say what it is because you should watch it. Um, and the uh, vampirism in the world of 30 Days of Night is a disease that can be passed on with the blood. Um, and that will come into uh, play in this film as well. Oh, there's a really great scene in this movie that takes place during a blizzard where there is whiteout conditions where all you can see is white. And that is a real thing that happens in the town formerly known as Barrow, Alaska. And that provides a uh, another leg of the plot of this film. You know, it's not just the survivors trapped in one location for the entire movie. Oh, no, no, no. Um, this film has many more surprises in store than that. And I just, oh God, I just think 30 Days of Night is so underrated. I think it is a terrific movie, one of the few original vampire movies I've seen this century. And it is perfect to watch at Christmas time. Even better if you watch it when there is a horrible blizzard going outside, um, which I'm sure we'll get this winter eventually. Maybe. Who knows? Um, I do want to say that the ending of 30 Days of Night is not super great. It's not a bad ending by any means, but it's not like it's not like some of the films we've watched in this Twelve Nights of Terror series where the en the ending happens and it just knocks you out. The ending of Thirty Days of Night is not an ending like that. But I think what everything that precedes the ending is so well done, so well executed, so well performed by its extraordinary cast of character actors that the fact that the ending is a little lame, it doesn't really matter. Um, because the rest of the movie is so, so great and unusual, and you should watch it. Um, so where can you watch it? I am very sorry to say, I'm a little bit surprised, that currently 30 Days of Night is not actually available to stream anywhere on the internet uh, by legitimate means. But um, 30 Days of Night is available to rent uh, on multiple streaming service platforms uh, to watch the film again in preparation for recording this episode. I myself rented 30 Days of Night on Amazon Prime for $3.99, um, and it's well worth the price. Uh, if you've never seen 30 Days of Night, please watch it. It is a really hidden gem uh, vampire movie of the 21st century, and one of the great Christmas-adjacent horror films that I can think of. It's been one of my favorites ever since I first saw it. I watch it at least once every single year, and I hope it becomes part of your winter holiday tradition as well.
my friends. Thank you for joining me once again for Hitchens on Horror. I am your host, Josh Hitchens, and you're listening to our series, 12 Nights of Terror, where we explore the best in holiday fear. It is hard to believe, my friends, but there are only three episodes left in this series, which will conclude on Christmas Day. What's coming up next on night number 10 tomorrow night? It is Rare Exports. Get excited. Until then, thank you for listening, my friends. Happy holidays and pleasant dreams.